Welcome to Think Big with Dan and Kasim. Join hosts Dan Melnick and Kasim Masood as they explore big ideas, limitless possibilities, and engage with visionaries, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders who dare to dream big, get inspired, motivated, and find practical tips for personal growth. Think big, dream bigger, and ignite your potential. Think big with Dan and Kasim, and our guest today is Erica. So, Erica, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, tell us where you live and what you do. Sure. Hi, I'm Erica Lebchak. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I've been in e-commerce and all facets of the industry for close to 15 years, or maybe more now. I think that's it. Yeah. And I um, I'm currently at Vila. Um, it's a premium home uh, appliance manufacturer based out of Germany. Um, with 90% sales share in EMEA and, you know, the European regions. And um, I was hired as head of e-commerce to really start their um, their growth trajectory here in the, um, the U.S. and really tap into the appliance space and steal some of that share. So, so how did you get into the e-commerce space? It's funny. It's um, It was like almost by accident. I went to school um, at Michigan State University. I'm from the Midwest. Um, I studied retailing and merchandising management there in the um, communications business school. I wanted, I'm very analytical. And so um, understanding like retail math and um, I wanted to be a buyer and like really focus on, you know, the math side of retailing. Um, I've been working since I was 14, 15 in retail um you know, landscapes or like at the mall or stores or just always customer focused. Um, and so that was just always something I found joy out of. And I graduated in 2008 and um, moved to Chicago because I'm from Detroit. At the time, no one really lived in Detroit. And so I moved to Chicago. I got an opportunity to work um, at Sears Holdings um, in Hoffman Estates in 2008 um, on a special project for Eddie Lampert, who was the CEO at the time. Um, it was called My Gopher. Um, and it was just something that intrigued me and someone took a chance on me. I'll never forget my superior. Um, and he hired me like purely out of school, purely with no e-commerce experience, but just passionate about like customer obsession and um you know, he understood that I understood retail. And so he's like, I can teach you this digital thing. And um, I worked at this like entrepreneurial division of Sears for like close to six years in different parts of it. But um, it was really Eddie Lampert's special project. So it was like funded well, we had good resources, but we really sat in like Sears Holdings is this huge campus and we had this like little offsite, not offsite, but it was just like, if you had a meeting with anyone in Kmart or Sears, you had to walk like across the whole campus. It took like at least 10, 15 minutes. So I did that for a while and I really taught myself a lot because I didn't go to school for e-commerce. There was no such thing as like entrepreneurial, you know, degrees back then. Um, and the way I taught myself was we wanted to rinse and repeat for Sears Marketplace and my gopher kind of like a Prime Now um, or like an Amazon experience. And at the time, Amazon wasn't the Amazon that it is today, right? It, it was mostly like books and skew count um, and like acquiring vendors. And 
So I became a seller essentially to two different models of FBA um, and FBM, you know, just like I didn't really sell anything, but I was, I was setting up these mock accounts to understand and teach myself like how you would go to market as a vendor, but also like understanding how you capture customers from a sell-through opportunity. And yeah, so I did my gopher for a bit, learned tight merchandising, learned how to like the digital shelf. Um, there wasn't as much in performance marketing then, but it was really about like email and some of the CRM and, you know, acquiring leads, but it was really about PDP and product display pages and um, making sure your copy was optimized and your pricing was correct. And it was all about like promotion. So we did that at my gopher. My gopher is essentially like Sears.com and Kmart.com in one site, but more like CPG and like Prime Now. Um, that same day delivery. And then from that, I moved into Sears Marketplace, was literally rinsing and repeating Amazon. We had a KPI of view count rather than like profitability or like revenue. It was all about like how many vendors we could acquire and how many SKUs we could get on the platform. Um, so we would go on Amazon, look at the different sellers and see if they wanted to like double list, you know, on ours. And um, so I was a vendor manager, essentially, for um, Sears Marketplace in all different categories. And um, Sears had acquired some folks from Amazon. So Paul came in. He was at Amazon. And like a bunch of people that had been ex-Amazonians moved from Seattle to Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Yeah. And they advised and also held my hand through a lot of the different opportunities. And I just asked a lot of questions. I was really young, hungry passionate. And I kind of took a step back after a series and realized I could make this a career and I haven't looked back since. That was a long-winded answer, but that's like how I fell into it. It was not on purpose um, at all, but it was something that I just took a chance on. And yeah, now it's been 15 years or so. And I'm pretty young in my career in the e-commerce space. And so I just like have so much more runway to go. Um, and that's like the most exciting part is I'm not like dating myself out. I'm still relevant and in it and learning every day and I have a great network and yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I really so, am thankful for it. So uh, what do you believe uh, sets your services, uh, in fact, your products apart from your competitors? Product, you know, there's always a competitive advantage because you are biased against you know, whatever brand <laughs> or product you're um, selling. I would say yeah. like in a totality, finding that competitive advantage in the category, um, whether it's value add to a consumer, whether it's content um, and conversion optimization, whether it's like customer experience um, or customer service. I do feel like I have intentionally moved around and um, within brands and manufacturers to get like a whole breadth of industry knowledge within the e-commerce space. I've worked for CPG, grocery, um, hard lines, soft lines, but also in the um, business to consumer side and the B2B mm -hmm. side. So um, I feel like e-commerce is e-commerce, right? And then figuring out like the nuances of the categories that you're selling in, um, that is your competitive advantage. So really looking into competition, really getting the right insights um, 
because a lot of organizations are shooting blind when it comes to e-commerce. Like it's not just putting something online and hoping it sticks. Like you really, well, it used to be, right? But then as it's gotten more progressive and more competitive, you really need to start that flywheel. And once you find like that pocket of opportunity that like your competitive advantage may or may not be in, um, with your competitors, you need to ride that and test it out and do every A-B test, whether it's with content, whether it is with price, whether it is with promotions, um, subscribe and save, like it depends, you know, because there's so many different models in e-commerce. There's peer players, marketplace, direct to consumer, um, even bricks and clicks or e-tail, buy online, pick focus, buy online, pick up and store. Like there's so many avenues. So I would say you need to tap into that competitive advantage. It's not always product position, it's strategy and understanding the landscape of the category and really like honing in on that and using data to help you. Cool. So in this whole scenario, like because you are an e-commerce system and obviously e-commerce system is working online. So yep. you are you are highly dependent on, on the technology. Mm-hmm. So in this whole scenario, uh, have you ever thought about getting help, some help from the AI, artificial so, intelligence? Yeah, so just recently. It's funny, I was on a webinar maybe a year ago with Chris Perry, and they were saying, like, what do you think the future of e-commerce is? And I said AI, um, not really knowing how sophisticated or what AI would tap into. At the time, personalization and um, site experience was becoming more prominent. And so when I said that answer, I was really thinking along the lines of personalization from an AI um, perspective. But now, you know, AI is being used in so many different ways. Um, I own a company with my husband. It's a direct consumer website, and we've used AI for a lot of our copy. Um, so I feel like there is ways for brands to utilize AI without um, completely going headless. Like you can use the AI capabilities and as much as you trust AI, still take like a human eye to, you know, a lot of it. But um, the personalization aspect, I think, is really something that consumers are looking for and towards when they have a visit, whether it's in-store or online. Um, and I do believe that AI will become so smart that you will feel like you are being followed, even if you had just visited a site for the first time ever. And so, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many avenues of AI. I'm not, I'm just getting into it. I actually am reading a lot about it. Um, organizations and companies have been reaching out, um, specializing in AI technology and implementations. And I don't feel as educated as I should be, or I mean, I'm not benchmarking anything, but that's the thing about e-commerce is everything moves so fast. You could say you're an expert and then the next day you have to become an expert on something else. And so right now that is my, that's like my biggest thing that I'm going to look into is like, what is the future of AI when it um, pertains to consumer behavior and also like conversion and headless commerce? Have you looked at all at blockchain as it pertains to e-commerce? I mean, I wouldn't say I'm familiar. I would not feel like comfortable enough to like say that it's something that I have looked into or have experience with. Um, 
again, those are like interesting new or not new, but newer-ish um, methodologies or strategies that like I just haven't really been able to tap into or been hands-on with enough. It's mostly me. I like to stay as read, well-read on a lot of these things and um, attend a lot of learning um, seminars or what have you, but I haven't had enough like hands-on experience with it or read enough business case studies on those to like really understand, you know, what the capabilities or opportunities may or may not be. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so this is natural. Um, not everybody uh, is familiar with the with the blockchain and uh, in this regard, you, you really need to know like how it can help before you know and how it can help you have to know what is clogged in. So right. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like, a... you know, enough to be dangerous, but like you don't know the right questions to ask. Yes. Like when you, when you use a tool or an insight tool, you can't just use it, right? Like you have to go into it with a question or like a discovery need. Um, and yeah, it's absolutely like one of those things that I'm sure if I, and I will come across like a scenario, but it hasn't happened yet. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah, that that's okay. So how do you acquire a new clients and retain the existing ones? Like this is the big dilemma for this is yeah. a big problem for everybody. And, <laughs> yeah, that is like the million dollar question, right? Retention is cash flow, is profitability, is sales, right? Like so obviously performance marketing, there's a lot of opportunities with personalization as well, like that I've been saying. Um and the, the many touch points to the consumer. With performance marketing, it's really honing in on the strategies and being very narrow-minded in those funnel approaches. Um, I feel like it, I can assume that, you know, some of the organizations when thinking about retention or um, optimization of conversions or even like acquisition would cast the largest net possible to acquire and hone in on like consumers, right? But like, not everything sticks and it's not as relevant. So it will be bypassed, which means they may or may not give more consideration in the future. So um, I think having multiple different funnels of strategy, um, depending on, you know, what you're trying to achieve. So whether it is retention or acquisition, acquiring new customers is really hard and then keeping them is even harder. Um, but as time and strategy pans out, and if you're tweaking the right things and looking at the right um, metrics to tweak and really investing in the right areas and not really looking at ROAS as like a KPI of performance, in like whether it's like high or low as like a defeat or a win, you know, I feel like a lot of time ROAS is look at, looked at like, oh, we got a lot of money back on this like campaign than what we invested in like it was profitable yes great but that's not sustainable always so it's like um really being more narrow-minded in those approaches taking risks failing fast looking at data um but utilizing performance marketing and consumer behavior um insights as well as there's so many different ways like with content personalization like i could go on and on and there's so many different scenarios but are a lot of benefits to like having some type of loyalty to your brand. So finding that niche to what drives your brand different from competitive um, 
nature in the industry, that's what we were kind of talking about the first question. I think that really pertains to the retention, especially if they trust and value you, Brandon, especially if they see good customer experience um, to try out something um, and then stay with it um, through that life cycle, then your long-term um, value obviously increases and it's more measurable. But yeah, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in fact, it's difficult to un answer this question for many people. This is difficult to answer this question. So, yeah, yeah, I was just wondering. <laughs> okay, so how do you measure the success for your business? So it depends. Again, like I feel like I can't give a straight yeah. answer on anything, but it's all so dependent on the strategy. And like what I was saying in my previous question with ROAS, that is a great KPI, right? No doubt. Always has been when it comes to performance marketing, when it comes to anything that you're like measuring ROI. But when it comes to acquisition, it's not always the best KPI to track and impressions either. You could get a bajillion impressions, right? Like a bajillion, but like you could get as many <laughs> impressions as you want on a campaign or a product or what have you, but that doesn't determine success always. It is a success factor, no doubt. I think um, when I look at my business maybe a little differently than a lot of organizations or not a lot, but like top line revenue, you know, but I look mostly at bottom line um, because the whole life cycle or journey or story of you getting a conversion costs umpteen amounts of dollars, whether you're talking about like Mm -hmm. Video video creation, product display page, photography, copywriting, um, performance marketing, ad spend, uh, like all the different tactics all wrapped up. So your marketing mix, like really wrapped up into, um, you know, top line revenue. Great. But like not, you know, like Prime Day, for example, you can go all in and, and have like an amazing Prime Day on Amazon and, you know, have good halo effects and good conversion. Um, but at the end of the day, is it profitable? Maybe not, but that's okay because that life cycle and that like um, impressions and clicks and those metrics really help the longevity and sustainability of those brands and those product pages. So it, <laughs> it depends. Um, and I really look at everything as separate strategies rather than just holistic because when I'm talking to leadership or when I'm putting together like a postmortem, I want to really showcase the right picture to the right audience that success, yes, sales, everyone wants sales, everyone wants visibility, but that's not always the strategy. It's probably a big point of it and a nice to have of a lot of strategies, but what if your um, strategy is acquisition or new to brand or like you're not going to really focus on so much of the top line. You're going to look at that like customer acquisition and that lifetime value and, you know, the profitability to get there. And so I don't know, that's a hard question as well. Like you guys ask some pretty hard questions, <laughs> but it's all like dependent. It's all dependent. Yeah, obviously. Okay. So in terms of, you know, for your business, what would you say is your top priority in the next three, three to six months? three to six months as a business. I think one of the biggest things and challenges right now, like in the e-commerce landscape and not only for my brand, but I feel like other brands is um, brand protection with COVID e-commerce like skyrocketed, like what is it? Four to seven years or something within one year. 
Um, and everyone is seeing the opportunity with e-commerce. Everyone's becoming more savvy with e-com. Um, and that means like Joe Schmo out of his garage is becoming more savvy with e-commerce. You know, like he's finding ways to buy products, turn them at a profitable rate and keep doing it. And if he can find pocket holes within brands that aren't putting the right guardrails in place of protection, that's where they're going to hone in on. And they're going to rinse and repeat that same strategy over and over until they lose out, right? But it's like really protecting your brand, whether you are a new brand or a like sustainable lifestyle brand that's been around forever. Understanding the legality around brand protection, counterfeit um, activity, and map compliance if you are in a mapped or MSRP like pricing, um, and really protecting your home stake when it comes to content, when it comes to um, your copy, when it comes to your brand positioning, whether it's premium or what have you, counterfeits. I already said that. But it's becoming more vast. Like each, if you look at, I think I read something recently, like each PDP or selling listing on Amazon, like four years ago, depending on the category, had anywhere, to, you know, from one to a dozen or, or more, um, right? Like depending, depending on the category, a lot of like dependencies again. But now it's like anywhere at minimum, like could be 30 to 100, like because so many of these people are trying to find opportunity and sell at a velocity rather than a sustainable um, like selling model. So anyways, my, um, my priority would be really focusing in on the strategy of how we want to go to market in the U.S. Um, and how we can protect our brand for the long game because you're going to take some hits if you cut off like relationships, if you cut off distribution, if you cut off and hone in a little tighter on your like network, but you don't want to compete with yourself. So like a lot of manufacturers or brands like have a lot of um, distribution, rightfully so, but if they're not abiding to your brand guidelines, you're not going to really have control. Yeah, you're going to see top line sales skyrocket because everyone's trying to compete on the same listing, but at the end of the day, it's the price. It's like a race to the bottom with price volatility, um, uh, brand deterioration. You know, it could. It's so. It's a, that's the biggest focus and something that you think you may be able to get around and like really capitalize because sales are not easy for a lot of companies right now. Um, and you may be able to like get around or skirt around it for now, but it's going to be detrimental to your scalability and sustainability and you will have an obsolete business um in the marketplace if you do not like really own in on that so that's like would be my top priority in the next three to six months and that is dependent on my current situation obviously so in terms of for your brand if we were going to have this conversation again in one year from now where do you expect things to go so I'm going to talk about my business that I own with my husband. It's a direct consumer website. Um, it's a holistic, like um, cognitive health, um, whole food powder. And, and, and we're really focusing on the greens. Before greens became like super trendy, it was just something that I looked into to adhere to the mind diet and the um, Mediterranean diet back in 2019. 
um, based off like a Rush University um, mind diet study that was going to be launching in 2022. So anyways, like some context to it, but we have a um, direct consumer website doing really well. Um, see a lot of good baseline opportunity. We just launched in 2021. So we're fairly new and, you know, launching in COVID was not easy, but in the next year, we are going to really be honing in on advertising in a really strategic way. When I was talking about casting a big net and really having those separate funnels of strategy from um, an acquisition and retention I was really talking about my brand because I see the value as a founder, like that personal founder, but not everyone's going to see the same value. And it's also about long-term health and um, not everyone is looking for a long-term solution. They're looking for a short-term solution. Well, I'd say most Americans um, or human beings in general are, but anyways, we're really focusing in on and using the data of what we've been acquiring for the past year to really um, capitalize on the successes of that in, within that data and then um, rinse and repeat it in a way that is more tailored to the audiences that we're looking to acquire and also reach. And we just hired an agency that is really helping us with that brand voice and that guidance. And it's been tremendously beneficial and helpful. And we just honed in on our copy on the website to make it like very user-friendly, less confusing, I guess you could say, to a third party. Like, you know, when you look at something over and over and over and you see no spelling errors type of thing, this wasn't spelling errors. This was just language that I understood or acronyms, you know, that e-commerce individuals understand, but the layman would, would like not know what you're talking about. So we really just um, are putting our consumer first, focusing in on advertising, um, really capitalizing on TikTok and some of these other opportunities of reach um, and aligning with the right, the brand uh, ambassadors or, you know, influencers that we really want to and be picky and choosy about it um who really uphold our brand integrity and so yeah that's what i'm looking forward to and i'm hopeful for exciting so if somebody wanted to reach out to you or find your company's website can you share that on here yeah um so i'll talk about my personal website it's um www.yourmemory m-e-m-o-r-e.com um, memory is mindful in Italian and, um, it's actually pronounced memore, but we just say very English, like American way of memory. Um, it's something that is delicious that you can feel good about yourself, um, putting into your lifestyle and diet every day, but also something that is um, a habit and something that you can really stack. Um, and it's easy to be as easily absorbed um, and it's clean. And it's just one of those things that got to try. You can't knock it until you try it. And um, it'll, your body will thank you and your your future self will thank you. That's great. Well, Erica, thank you so much for your time. We're wishing you the yeah. best of luck and rooting for your thank business. You. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Nice to meet you both. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.